going back to the day when the Dragons finished highest in the league, we used to work hard. We did our BHW, our bloody hard work, but we had a bit of crack as well. And so, for example, we have monthly awards like King of the Breakdown, Tackle of the Month. We, we'd also have uh, Prick of the Month. I don't think I say that. Oh, you've, but, you've said it now, doesn't yeah, matter. So, Prick of the Month. And basically, Prick of the Month, uh, one of our sponsors ran, ran a haulage company. Now, you couldn't do it these days, but I'm only going back to 2003. And he had, you know, the Del Boy uh, Trotter uh, three wheeler. Yeah, yeah. So he painted, he had two or three of them, and he painted them up. So the prick of the month had to drive the Del Boy three uh, wheeler. <laughs> For the whole month or just? For the whole month. Oh, right? wow. And um, our best player was a guy called Percy Montgomery, who was a film star. He's, uh, he was the South African. Full He's back. the prince from yeah. Shrek, isn't he? Yeah, he had the blonde yeah. hair. Yeah. He just looked a million dollars. His wife was ex. Miss South Africa. So he didn't do anything wrong, but we invented things that he did wrong just to make him quick <laughs> <of> the month. <laughs> and to make him drive a three-wheeler for the month. But he just bought into it. He loved it. The boys loved it. And, you know, anything we were lacking in terms of a little bit of quality in the squad, perhaps we made up for just by being so bonded and tight, you know. Hello and welcome to episode number 10 of For Fit's Sake, the podcast brought to you by FS Gyms. That little cliffhanger that you heard at the start of the episode was from uh, myself and Rudd's interview with Rudd's dad, big Mike Ruddock. Uh, Mike, a very successful coach in his own right, Grand Slam winning coach with Wales in 2005, currently head coach at Lansdowne RFC, sitting pretty on top of the AIL. We had Mike in to talk to us about what's involved in building high performance units and successful teams, gave us some great nuggets on his time in Welsh rugby, uh, what he's doing in business and how to create a successful environment within business but just before we get stuck into the interview with Mike and share all the takeaways with you guys we've got some really exciting news and that is that we've partnered up with Pundit Arena to power the For Fit Sake podcast we're also going to be partnering up with them to bring a really exciting couple of um, blog series and vlog series on the Pundit Arena website from nutrition to movement training for field-based sports it's going to be really exciting I know Rudds you're pretty excited about getting working with the guys I'm really excited about it. For, for me, it helps us to bring our message to more people. And that's what we're trying to do, help people become the strongest version of themselves. It also gets us access to some people that we might not be able to speak to. So we're going to get insights from athletes from different sports, different walks of life that we might not be able to talk to. And then the people are going to learn about that. But also for myself, and it's going to be a learning experience. I remember when we sat down and we talked to the guys, I was so impressed with their professionalism, their passion and what they're doing. I know for me, it's going to be a huge learning experience and it's going to help me to take what I'm doing here in the podcast and take what we're doing and make things even more professional, even better uh, over the next six months. I'm really excited to learn from them. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And with that, keep an eye on Pundarina Social, keep an eye on the FS Gym Social. If you've got anything that you want us to cover in any of our kind of blog series or top five tips that we're going to be giving to the guys at Pundit Arena, let us know. We'll make sure we get them covered. But now we're going to jump straight into the interview with Big Mike. We had a laugh doing this. Uh, Mike, great character, uh, as well as being really knowledgeable and having some great insights into what it takes to build successful teams. We just had a hell of a lot of fun. So we hope you guys enjoy the episode. Mike, thanks a million for coming in. Um, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come in and join myself and Ruds. Um, we have you in this week to talk about uh, how to build a high-performance team, uh, talking about the habits, the structures that you put in place in the teams that you've worked with over the years, including a Welsh Grand Slam winning team. Mm. But before we do that, uh, Ruds, how are you getting on at the minute? Any crack? I'm good. Uh, delighted to have 
you, my dad here you, you, look, you look nervous I was saying it's like uh, he's like he's coming to watch you play a big game or something you look a bit shaky in your seat there well when he comes to watch me play big games normally he's coaching the other team and I normally lose so That's uh, or get yellow cards oh yellow cards so that might be why I'm nervous yeah possibly you, possibly. Can't, really, you can't really get yellow card on your own show though, no, so no. it's going to be big Mike in the hot seat and Mike um, speaking of rugby uh, Lansdowne going well at the minute yeah we've only lost one game uh, all season although we did come uh, pretty close uh, the other week when Kieran's team, uh, St. Mary's, came down and uh, really put it up to us. Um, it was a good, tough game, tight game. And in the end, we had to just work our way through uh, a difficult sort of period to, to snatch uh, a victory. And um, yeah, that, that that was a tough game for us and just reminded us that uh, every game from now on, uh, because once you lead the, the league, if you like, you're the team to beat and everyone raises a game or knows they're going to have to play really well against you. So... It was actually good for us because we took a lot of out of it, out of the game in terms of preparation for what comes next. But obviously, I'm sure Kieran and uh, St. Mary's took a lot out of it because they really did take us down to the wire. It was a Friday night game, Rods, wasn't it? It was Friday night, two or three weeks ago um, in Lansdowne. It was a good game, but uh, we, we at the moment, haven't been winning many games. And it was kind of the difference between the two teams, the team that had been winning all the time in the important moments, the end of the game, um, made the right choices, whereas maybe we didn't. And uh, looking back, it's an opportunity we maybe could have had, but in fairness to them, they're a very well-drilled team and they're a very good side, so they deserve to win the night. Kind of looking at your coaching career, you can correct me if I'm wrong on a lot of this, but uh, like some of the big things that have stood out to me are obviously you've got what you're doing with Lansdowne at the minute. We'll talk about that more later. What you do with Wales, we'll talk about that more. But going back even further to like coaching sort of provincial rugby in Wales, something that stands out big time is beating Australia in was it uh, was Nin- 1992. They were the world champions. I was coaching Swansea at the time. We were a Tuesday Thursday night um, amateur club. Um, how I said that, I had something like 12, 13 internationals on the team. Um, talk, talk us through that. Well, how did, how did that work? Obviously, I read, well, I read an article. I don't know if I saw, I saw it online recently. It was about uh, that Swansea team then had expectations when Australia came there. The expectation was that Swansea were going to beat them. How does that stack up? That must have been yeah, pressure. you've got to remember back in the day, we'd also pick up the touring teams that came in. And it was our job to warm them up a little bit before Wales got their hands on them, you know. So um, in 1992, we played um, Australia with the current world champions under Bob Dwyer. And uh, they came down to us to play. Um, and, you know, we had such a good team. We'd won two Welsh leagues at that stage um, uh, under my sort of coaching. And, um, yeah, we just fancied we could beat the world champions. It sounds ridiculous, but we did. We went out and... We, 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 beat them pretty, pretty, pretty handily as well, you know? And what, what was the pressure going into that? Was it a kind of a, this is a shot that nobody expects a whole lot or no. was within that community? Was there a huge pressure on you guys as well? No, it wasn't pressure. I think it's, it's one of those games. There's no, you can't lose in that type of game. Nobody really expects you to beat, you know, a, a, an international team. But however, we all sort of fancy our chance that we could because it'd been done before. Yeah. You know, Swansea had beaten these teams before. Uh, Cardiff had beaten these teams before. So I'll give you a quick backdrop from memory. Um, we had an all international front row. Sorry, we had two internationals in the front row and an old stager, uh, Kieran, you, you remember, he coached you, Keith Cokeleff, who was the best scrummaging tight dead in uh, Welsh rugby, a great character, but had never got capped for Wales. And my loose head, who'd been an international player, got injured a week before or two weeks before this game, 
I had no replacement. I happened to go down to Swansea University on a Wednesday afternoon to look for a replacement. And I saw a kid there who did really well, brought him up and, and, and played him the week before against Neath. But my hooker was a diamond, a boy called Gallen Jenkins. And he made props look, you know, even better than they were. So Gallen got hold of this young kid, Chris Clark, his name was. And we played against Australia and I was confident we could beat them, but I was a little bit worried about how my new rookie kid would go in the front Good row. Baptism of fire yeah. for him. So um, I remember doing up for the press conference, um, you know, doing up a, a list of our team and everyone in our team by the front row were all internationals. And the only two who weren't internationals were the two props, the rookie kid from the university and uh, the tight dead prop who'd been around for like 15 years in Welsh rugby and was renowned as one of the most fierce scrummagers in Welsh rugby, but had never been capped. So the Australians looked at the fixture, at the team list with all the asterisks next to the, um, uh, next to the international players and they, they figured they might be able to take us on in the scrum because we didn't have international props. So I used this to my advantage. I got into the two props and well, the front row in general and I said, guys, you know, just come from the Australian press conference, which was nonsense really. I needed it. <laughs> and I said, all they talked about was how we didn't have an international front row and they're going to smash us in the front row. And you boys, like, um, look, if I need to, I'm going to have to sub you. If you can't cope with the heat, I'm going to have to put the reserve prop on and just wound them up. Yeah. Well, we absolutely demolished the Australian front row. We just killed them because they had all the backs. Tim Horan and all these guys, uh, you know, the, the class sort of Australian backline you always see. They couldn't get the ball. Our front row were, uh, like madmen uh, all over the place and um, well incentivized. very quick story Garin Hooker kept saying to uh, Phil Kearns who was the you know World Cup winning hooker for Australia from the scrum first scrum down he said I'm I'm uh, number one hooker you know I'm the best and uh, <laughs> he just went on all game the more we pushed him back and fair play to Phil Kearns he just bit his lip and got on with it you know and then uh, at the last scrum Garin said to him I told you Phil I'm number one he said, yeah, mate, number one shithead. <laughs> <laughs> it was too late then. He got yeah. backwards for the, the whole game. and we won. Then obviously on to co- coach of Wales, Grand Slam. Uh, t- maybe talk us through that. Is there any, with, with your pillars, you're probably, like, I wouldn't say young in your coaching career, but like it's obviously a good few years ago now. Uh, has your philosophy on coaching changed much since then or is there anything that opened your eyes around that time? Any kind of real? Yeah, there's a few things that changed for me, but um, just the backdrop to that was uh, the year before, 2003, I think, was the first year that they brought in um, regional rugby in Wales. Um, they went to the four regions, or it was five originally. Uh, they had a team called the, um, uh, the Celtic Warriors, which were based around Pontypridd Bridgend, and they sort of folded, and we all divvied up the players for want of a better term, and, and we all end up with a few extra players in our ranks. So um, I'd taken on the Dragons, and the two benefactors of, of, of two clubs, technically, that joined, which was Ebervale and Newport, they said to me, look, you know, we, we want to get out of this. We, we're putting money year after year into this. And, you know, we can't afford to keep on throwing money at this. We're losing money. It's not a great investment. At the end of the day, we're business people. And this, we've made lots of money in our, in our lives, but we've never made it from a rugby team. So we want to pull back, reduce the budget. We want you to put a team together. It's going to be competitive, but on a very low budget. Um, and it's just self-sustaining so we can walk away. So that was the plan. So I had to let a lot of international players go. But I'd, luckily enough, I coached the Wales A team for a couple of seasons. So I knew the boys who weren't quite internationals, but they were really good players. Good players yeah. So I, I sort of targeted a lot of those guys, got them down. Um, cut long story short, we end up third in the league when everyone 
was calling us the rejects because we had the what was perceived to be the pick of uh, all the rejected players that the other regions didn't want. Uh, but I done my homework, put together a good squad, and we end up finishing third. And in fact, at, at half time on the final Saturday of the season, we were leading in Leinster. Um, and if we'd won that game, we actually would have won the league. Um, and Leinster came back really well and scored a try or two, but it was a close game. But anyway, we end up third, but it was still, and, and, and even now, uh, was it 12, 13, 14 years on, uh, still the highest finish the Dragons have ever had. So I'm quite yeah. proud to say that was my, um, that was my approach there. So basically, you know, I've, I've studied a little bit of sports psychology and a lot of sports psychology tells you you've got to be really positive with players and positive sort of, um, messages. And whilst I, 90% agree with that. There's always a time when a negative um, sort of message in-house actually can inspire people. And uh, I used to openly say to my players, look, guys, I'm not telling you this, but everybody out there are calling you rejects. You know, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Are you going to prove some people wrong? And it actually worked for us superbly. And we were, you know, we went to Munster and one down to Torman Park and places like that that we never thought we could do. Um, and that takes me back very quickly to the Swansea story. Uh, when I took over at Swansea, it was the second year of leagues. And um, in the first year, Swansea had finished last but one and got bombed out of the Welsh Cup, which for a top four, you know, team that always played touring teams was totally unacceptable. So I was asked to come in and coach, um, pretty unproven really. And in the pre-season, there was a headline uh, showing, uh, predicting how teams were going to do the season ahead, uh, but also a bit of a line on them, you know, and they put a line on our team in Swansea and they said, uh, super flops, because they had all the best players, but they always flopped. They never won anything. They were pretty hopeless for the last five, ten years, you know. So I pinned it up in the change room and I said, you know, we hadn't beaten Clathley for 11 games which was our fiercest local rival. And I said, right, that's staying up on the notice board there until we beat Clarethley. A sports scientist, uh, sorry, a sports psychologist came in to me and said, Mike, that's such a dangerous thing to do. If you don't beat Clarethley, they'll believe they are flops. I said, well, let's, let's wait and see what it's happens. Tested. Yeah, let's wait and see what happens. Because <laughs> I'm obviously no expert, but if I was looking at that as a player, I'd be pretty pissed off and want to do something about it. So um, in my naivety, if you like, that's what I did. And we end up beating Clarethley and win the league that season. So Ignorance is bliss exactly. sometimes. But I tried to draw the divide by saying, actually, this is not my negative, you know, and this is not your <laughs> negative. This is an external negative. Yeah. These are the journalists that we need to prove wrong. These are the, you know, the media guys who are saying that you're super flops. These are the media guys that are calling you rejects. I'm just reinforcing what they are saying to you, you know. So, are we going to do something about it, if you like? And um, so, yeah, in my naivety, perhaps is a dangerous uh, one, but I'm actually very proud of those uh, of the results we got on the back of that. For example, Swansea were last but one when I took them over. We won two leagues, beat Australia, and, and, and won the Welsh Cup for only the second time in our history. You know, um, not a bad record. So, uh, you know, but I've had I've had my tough times as well. Um, so, there's no magic. There's no magic formula. I think it's, again, I must have felt in my gut that that was the right thing to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, these days I was just looking at a great piece on LinkedIn about Frank Dick, who's a great athletics coach. Uh, I'd recommend you, you read. And he was saying about, obviously, the use of modern technology is fantastic, you know, and now it can help coaches. But he come he's come from a different era. He's, he's a bit of a dinosaur like me, where... You know, the you're, time you're you get, very good on technology, Instagram time, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> by the time you get all the stats 
uh, you know, out and all the information, you know, it might be too late to change the game. Yeah. And he was making the point about how he can recognise flow, um, or if the flow is not there, and how movement patterns are so important to him, how he recognises or doesn't recognise those. And I, you know, and I probably coming from that sort of era where, because I never had the technology for 25 years, I've had to sort of learn that on the job, if you like. And I remember when I was in the under 20 World Cup, um, we had all the GPS systems and a guy coming up to me saying, look, you know, your this guy is flagging his, his times have gone down a little bit. You know, you might need to take him off. And I said, great point. If he wasn't my tight head prop and I needed to anchor the scrum for the next five minutes, I'd probably do that, you know, and we hung in there and we won the game. So, um, so, you know, all the modern technology is, is fantastic, but I still think as a coach, and you guys are, are building that, you know, here, you know, the, the ability to uh, sort of see things uh, with your own eyes and be able to learn when the flow, when you need to intervene, you know, is such an important skill. I think, like, if you tr- translate, translate that to what we do here, like a lot of people in the gym would wear Fitbits. Um, so like that's giving you all the metrics about how many steps you're taking, uh, what your heart rate is and all these types of things. Um, but at the same time, as a coach, I wouldn't necessarily, like it's interesting data and it's good data to collect, but I wouldn't base everything based on that because I've seen it a lot of times where someone's like, they say their steps are a certain amount, but something else could be contributing to that. Or it could be a case where the heart rate in a session doesn't go as high, but it could have been a case where the Fitbit loses a bit of contact mm-hmm. and then it's not showing up the whole session. There's so many variables. So like if you base it all on the technology within our, like if we're talking about that Fitbit example, you could go, I'm supposed to eat this much now, but you might not be able to mm-hmm. if you base it all on that. Whereas if you have other principles, and as well, using experience to guide you of going, well, I normally eat this much. That session felt like a 7 out of 10. Mm. On that day, I wouldn't eat, overeat or whatever it might be. Then that can kind of um, help to govern your decision off the back of that. Whereas if you solely base it on the data, then you could be you could be going wrong because of an error in the data or something like that. Whereas if you use it as, like you said, with the tight head prop example, where you take it on board and you don't ignore it, you go, okay, but I'm going to do this because of this and because of your experience, you're able to make the right call more often than not. So if you think of someone who's tracking their calories with their watch, it might not be the be all and end all. You might want to look at some other data points, like how are you feeling? How did that session feel compared to the others? Hmm. Um, like what's your weight like? What do you normally eat? How different is it from that? So I think you could apply that. Absolutely. I also think the, the point you made about the movement patterns for you guys is really important. So they could have all our data showing they've done X amount of work in, in the first two months they're with you and then end up injured because they've done yeah. the work, but their movement pattern wasn't right and it's created an injury difficulty, whereas your ability to see their movement patterns and analyse that um, and actually correct or intervene when you need to, obviously is going to be a key skill and is a key skill for you guys. Yeah, and a huge part of that is it's that experience you're talking about, Rudds, but like it ties over into tons of other areas of life as well mm. with, with coaching and with experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think w- with that, like when you're saying, if you're talking about a lot of strategies you use there, you went with your gut and then you just looked at the results. So if you got a good result doing, say, for instance, telling the guys this is what the media said about mm. you and you kept getting good results, then it works. So keep doing it until it doesn't work. Um, 
and that could be the same with the health and nutrition or the training side of things. You could be reading an article and it tells you don't do steady state cardio because you'll lose all your muscle mass. Um, but if you, you're doing one or two runs a week and you're still getting stronger and building more muscle mass, well, if it's working for you, keep doing it. Yeah. And is there anything in like, obviously from rugby then, like, we believe hugely that like tons of areas of sport transfer into other areas of life, your family, business, all those kind of things. Is there anything that's really big that you've seen translates from like a winning culture in sport that translates to business really well? Yeah. Um, I also work, uh, if you like in my day job, um, I, I work part time for how many jobs do you have? Yeah. I've got, well, look at what he eats. Kira. <laughs> I mean, I want to have 10 jobs to keep him in food. Reese I mean, isn't a small lad either, to be fair. He's the only man to have a stand innovation in Nando's. Uh, <laughs> you know, we I, talked about that in early episodes, so he's beyond that. He's, he doesn't stop gee, himself anymore. I can tell you a few stories about that boy eating. Anyway, so I've had to work at a lot of jobs to keep him and, uh, and Reese and everyone in, in, in food. Um, but I work part-time for a recruitment company, Acorn uh, Global Recruitment. And um, certainly the, the skills I've learned um, in, in rugby and being part of a team have helped me to transfer some of those skills uh, across uh, into my work, you know, and particularly on the networking side, uh, meeting people, uh, opening up dialogue, uh, building a relationship, trying to provide solutions, you know, recruitment solutions in this instance in terms of helping them to perform better as a company. Um, Whereas obviously if I'm coaching a rugby player and I see that he can't perform a certain skill, then obviously I've got to try and provide a solution for him, analyze that situation. So there's a lot of things there. And I very often get asked um, and have delivered many times uh, to businesses an insight into building teams and high performance teams and, you know, they definitely people want to know, um, you know, how, how a team operates. And I think that's what I've been impressed with what I've seen of you guys on the social media is how you actually all work as a team and how your uh, clients and, and, and the people who train with you are, are feel part of a team as well, you know, and you've developed, um, I talk about, you know, team cohesion is split into two, two aspects I mentioned earlier. There's task cohesion. So there's a focus on getting a task done as well as you can and, 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 and as accurately as you can um, to get the outcomes you want. There's also an element where you get, you know, the best teams have got a great uh, feeling of camaraderie and team spirit, which you get from social cohesion. So, you know, where people like to spend time with each other um, and that gives you the strongest bond. So what's going to make the difference? And I strongly believe this when I come to a playoff game or a cup final and you've got a win with 10 minutes to go and you've got two teams that have trained so hard for nine, 10 months, a great coaching, great conditioning uh, input, um, I've, I've developed their skills um, and are very, very fit. So what's going to make the difference? It's going to come down to that little bit of team spirit, that feeling mm-hmm. of being really tight together under pressure. And um, so I really try to help, uh, try to develop a little bit of that if I can in my coaching. A couple of years ago, Dar, were you part of it when we did... Um, uh, come dine with me at the club. This, this uh, is Dara, our, uh, the producer on the podcast. Yeah. He doesn't usually get to talk, but Hoover hop in here and answer Big Mike's questions. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was pretty good, to be fair. Uh, I, was, did you, did I was. I was. No, I was leading the charge with the cooking. To be fair, that's why. <laughs> that's why the backs ended up beating yeah. the forwards. You know, forwards are too busy stuffing their face in the kitchen. <laughs> Dara was falling asleep in the corner, so I thought I'd ask him. Snoozing, but no. What we did, we we got the forwards to train one night, and while they were training, the backs. 
uh, took over the kitchens at the club and prepared food for a three-course meal and fluids for the boys and um, refreshments. And um, then on a Thursday, uh, we rotated and the backs trained and the forwards prepared it. And they, they went to great lengths to outgun the, the backs. They, they did a Mexican night. They all had sombreros on and moustaches, a bit like Dara's uh, moustache. <laughs> which I gave him a bit of stick about. He has a terrible moustache. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, and then we had an independent judge to, to vote on that. And, you know, perhaps, you know, I don't think perhaps I'm doing enough of it this season. Uh, we're performing on, on, on the, on the, on the field. We've only lost one game. Um, you know, we probably now come to the running. We need to just get a few of those little strategies yeah. in place to make sure that we feel really bonded if you like going into the big games. And what are the keys for building that social cohesion in like not only rugby but in business as well? Uh, it's something like yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you, like in business, you might find that there's things like dressing down day, or you know, um, you know, you have tag rugby competitions and uh, teams, and you have um, uh, you know social evening where you go out and everyone sticks together and have a has a beer or two. There could be some some um, uh, awards. Uh, handed out, you know, and, um, not just, you know, for, for, for the people who've achieved great things, but sometimes for someone who's just projected all the right values that you want, uh, in your company and in your team, um, for, you know, to, to, to demonstrate the sort of trademarks that you want, uh, portrayed as a company. So I think you can generate that and a good manager, um, you know, should, should, should work and not be afraid to go to the boss and say, can you give me a bit of a budget actually to, Make sure the social side is, is, is good. The people, you know, a biggest, and again, with my recruitment hat on, the biggest, one of the biggest difficulties now the economy's kicking on is, is retaining yeah. your best staff, you know? So I think you've got to put a little bit of work into retaining, uh, the people, the key skills that you've got and making sure people feel part of a team. They don't just sort of walk out of there at five o'clock and have no, um, emotional sort of attachment, psychological attachment to that brand. The, like the little things go a long way as well if you're talking about that from a business standpoint and a training standpoint so like one of the things I talk about a lot is doing the work so that's your task completion so like if you want to get anywhere with training you have to do the work reading about it and like planning it isn't enough you have to come in do the squats do the lunges do the rowing consistently over and over and over again it's the only way to get results but what's going to fuel that is if you enjoy the work so there's your social part of it where if you can enjoy it so for me I always train as part of a group with the lads and that makes me enjoy it. So that yeah. makes me turn up and do the work. So like the little things like, um, for instance, in our classes, everyone who comes to the gym, we'll ask them how they're doing. Uh, we know them by first name terms. We know what they do. We know some of the quirky things about them. Uh, but then as well, when everyone finishes the session, I'll make an effort. All the coaches will make an effort to go and shake everyone's hand individually or give someone a fist pump individually to acknowledge the work they've done in the session. So like, obviously... You can have the big events like you're talking about and that can be part of it. But I think a big part of it is your habits and like the organic things that happen every day where like you're making an effort to go over and ask someone how they're doing and shake their hand. But like all those little things add up to a lot then when it comes time when, so, so talking in the business element. So if I'm stuck and I need to share someone to take a shift for me, if we don't have that cohesion as a team, we don't do those little things each day to show each other we care if I go, can I, I'm really stuck. Can I get you to cover my shift? You're going to go, ah, I actually don't want to. I'll make an excuse. Whereas if you care for me as a person, I care for you as a person as part of the team, you'll go, okay, 
I'll help you out. And like, Absolutely. And th- th- that happens yeah. all the time with us. Because That's so important. And even the fact that you, you, you reach out your arm, it's an it's actual demonstration that you want to, um, you know, have a, a physical attachment to the person near you, you know, and you're part of the same team and shaking hands with your, you know, with the clients and the people who work under you and, uh, and, and you train, I think is really, really important bond, you know, it, you don't just sort of come in, uh, they do the work and walk out, you know, they've got to feel that sense of attachment that you, uh, you, you really care about them and you want them to be as, as good as they can be, you know, I think that's, that's really, really important. It's difficult for me in a, in a, in a team setting with a squad of 30, 40 players. And Daryl will tell you sometimes I'm not uh, the most PC or the most polite, uh, <laughs> guy, but I do care about all my players and, um, you know, uh, they'd be surprised to hear that. Um, don't worry, guys. They'll never hear it. Don't worry, I'm not going soft to you guys. I'm not going to go soft. But that, but that's something that, uh, like, obviously in business, it, like, people underestimate the value of that sometimes, I think. Like, I know from playing rugby for years, um, I'm back playing at home in Kilkenny now, and there's, like, when I went back to playing Kilkenny, a big part of me going home was there was maybe five or six guys that I grew up playing with around the team, and that was enough to bring me back. There was guys that come back from playing in Dublin or living abroad, and we all got together and played, and, like, it was so enjoyable to play with those guys. But then you make another 15 really good mates on the team, and I notice in the teams I've played well in, you have that want and desire to play for each other and the teams that you don't play well in are when guys don't hang around the sheds for a chat afterwards or there's nobody going for a beer on a Saturday or Sunday after a game. It's like it, I've noticed it so much come into my business life over the last five years that when you make the extra effort to, if we finish work, I'll hang on with your olds while you lock up. We'll walk down the road towards your car together, have a chat or whatever it is. There are small things that allow you to connect with people outside of just rugby or just work or just whatever it is. And ultimately that's going to lead to successful business, successful teams and you personally get to where you want to be. It's massive. Don't underestimate it because. You know, again, uh, you boys have really impressed me with what you've done, and I remember that day. I People came, aren't going to believe this. They're yeah. just going to say, "Rose's dad is bigging yeah. the lads up." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you give me, you give me a little envelope for you, <laughs> uh, but you know, I remember that day I came here. You did a charity challenge, the row, and all that. You know, it wasn't just the guys who were in the gym doing it. I mean, you were inviting the families along to support. I came along to support, and um, I just felt part of it, even though I wasn't. Uh, actually physically doing anything. Um, I felt the vibe, the dynamic was fantastic. And you think, Oh, I want to be part of that team, you know? And, um, again, just a quick story to, to, to sort of talk more about that. Um, when I was in Swansea, we had a lot of success on the field. Talked earlier about the Australian win, but I remember, uh, writing down when I started to get to know the guys, you know, uh, have you got a family? Have you got, what's your wife's name? Writing all the stuff when I put, it was the old days when you had to have a little, book and you'd write their phone numbers in the book there was nothing stored in the phone you know but it, w- the good thing about that was you'd have to write tangibly write all the numbers down remember it better, so you'd say yeah. well what's your wife's name what's your kid's name I'd write them all in the book so you know when I was talking to them I sort of seemed to remember a lot of the names and then um, it was in the old days if you like where there was a lot you know, there was a, a, a big community sort of feel about Welsh rugby and um, you know all the wives started to get to know each other um, and support the t- the vibe and the dynamic on the field. So the guys were really happy in the club because it wasn't just the guys who were getting on. It was all the families who were getting on. The wives and girlfriends were getting on really well. We'd have a, a social activity once a month for the players, um, you know, whether it was a, a disco or a band or a comedian or a, we had um, a hypnotist there, which was, that's another podcast I can tell you. <laughs> you but everyone bought into it and, you know, no one wanted to leave it. It was a really, looking back on my career, it was a special four or five years, you know. But that, um, that's, that's something that's really important, I think, is uh, 
like we have it obviously in the gym like we have a small team with the coaches we we know each other as partners we know you know we'd always be thinking you're trying to keep everyone happy you want harmony but i remember i had a coach under 16s or under 18s and i remember we had a, a game refixed similar to the weather last week we were having games refixed and he turned around to a few of us and says, look and it, it didn't apply to me at the time but he says i don't care if you're at training on tuesday or thursday or friday i just want to share on saturdays if you have to go take your missus to the cinema or do whatever it is i remember at 18 thinking what's he talking about like rugby is the most important thing in the world like why does he why would anyone prefer to go with their missus to the cinema on a friday night than come to training or whatever it was but like later in life you understand that those things are really important and you have to keep home life happy otherwise your your sporting performance or particularly your work performance is going to suffer you have to have a like yeah. ha- happiness in the rest there's harmony in the rest of your life not just in what you do nine to five that's so important and unfortunately i think it's something that's definitely getting lost a little bit there's um you know, it just doesn't seem to be the, the modern working environment seems to be becoming do more, do more, do more, and there's yeah. less time for the important things. And it's a real shame. I think it'll hopefully come full circle at some point. And uh, like in terms of when you were thinking, you know, like when you were starting off and you were implementing some of these things, like was there someone who taught you, like a mentor, taught you a lot of this stuff, or was it a case where you? Uh, no, I think what it is, you you know, you're shaped by you know your environment, how you grow up. You're shaped by your experiences as a player. Um, certainly when I, I had to finish um, playing rugby, I, I, I used to work as a linesman for the electricity board. Unfortunately, I got knocked off a ladder, fractured my skull, which knocked a bit of sense into me, uh, <laughs> broke my back. Um, so I had to finish playing rugby. Uh, and that's why I went into coaching quite early. Um, what, what age were you now, Mike? 26. Jesus. Okay. So... Um, uh, I went into coaching, did the courses, came out of that, thought I was going to take on the world. Um, but interestingly enough, and this is a really, I think this is a really important point that could be of value to, uh, your, your members here, your listeners, or anyone really, perhaps in business as well. Um, and I might have mentioned this to Kieran before, but I remember my dad taking me down to uh, the medical appointment because I'd, where I fractured my skull, I'd smashed all the organ of balance in my one year. I'm totally deaf in the one year, which is really handy when it's my round. Um, <laughs> so I never have to buy a beer. Um, but I remember going down for some tests on my ear to see whether I could get the hearing back. And um, my dad said to me, son, what are you going to do now? Because you've been advised to give up rugby. You know, it's back specialist that told me to give up rugby. And I said, well, if I can't you know, play for Wales, I'd play for the Wales B team at that stage and I was on the verge of, of, of uh, so I can tell everybody because they don't know any different. Practically I was on the verge, verge of playing for Wales. I'd been in the squad. Um, I said, well, if I can't play for Wales, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the coaching courses and I'm going to coach Wales. And I think sometimes making a powerful statement to some other people um, can, can be, well, the laws of the universe might take over, but also you've made a commitment then um, that you're going to do something you know, a little bit special. So I'll never forget that conversation. And lo and behold, it, it sort of happened for me. Um, so I always tell youngsters, look, if you want to do something, shout it out there, you know, uh, without being too cocky about it, but just tell people that's what you want to do and well, put the action behind the words, you know. That's incredible because that's, that's what we talked about in the, like the first episode of the podcast yeah. runs. We talked about we wanted to open a gym and we were, we'd been thinking about it for a long time. It was only when I went to Rhodes and said, I want to open a gym then it started to gain legs once I'd said it out loud then we started to say it out loud together and like you said the universe just things start to happen and things come your way but like that's it's such an important thing for anyone who's we talked about you're thinking of making a change in your life whatever it is just say it to someone say it to it, someone it's and out they, there you know we've all got dreams or goals or aspirations and sometimes people are afraid to 
I don't know, might feel they going to embarrass themselves to say something like, probably was quite ridiculous for me. I was <laughs> pretty busted up at the time, sitting in a car, couldn't drive. Uh, at the did you time. have any coaching experience at the time? Or did you coach no anywhere? coaching experience. I mean, coaching was relatively, you know, uh, new, if, if you like. We all yeah. had coaches, but we all had one coach. We had no coaching structures back in those days. Um, but anyway, the the point being is I, I said it, um, and it might have probably been ridiculous at the time, but anyway, I followed it through and had a go and had a bit of luck as well, and the laws of the universe behind me as well. Um, and I also had to feed Kieran, like I said, so I had to, I had to make my way to the top as well. To you get, were driven, get, definitely to, driven. Get, yeah. get the food in there, yeah. in, 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 in the fridge there. But um, it didn't start too well. Uh, I went to village, uh, uh, coach my, my village team, uh, where I started out with back up in the valleys, and uh, I lost my first four games. And uh, the committee were going to sack me if I think if I'd lost the, the next game. So I thought I went, I went in point being, I did the coaching courses, thought I knew it all. You know, I've done these couple of courses. Have my badges Obviously, and ready to go. You've got the badges, but no experience, you know. I went out and, you know, ran, it was great stuff. I was running all these great sessions. A lot of good drills, a lot of cones. Yeah, great, the drills are good, but of course, you know, it probably didn't relate to the, the way the team was going to play and might have confused ever all the players. I don't know anyway, but I, I sort of lost these four games and I was on the verge of being sacked and the coaching career, which has been very good to me, suddenly could have been out the door, you know? Um, I remember talking to a couple of my senior players. I said, look, lads, you know, I've got to take responsibility here and lost the first four games, but I said, any feedback? They said, oh, we don't think we're doing enough fitness. You've come off, off all the courses. You're doing all these technical drills with us and this, we can pass good, but we can't run around. We're huffing and puffing. I said, oh, great. Okay. Well, here we are. From now on, we'll push on. And, um, we actually I made the, the sessions more intense, um, on the back of the feedback from those guys. And, uh, after losing the first four games, we actually won the league. So in my first season, I actually won the league after losing the first four games. I, I'm sure Rudd is going to jump on that, but I take a couple of things from that. One is probably when you lost the four games. For me, when I've been in situations like that and you're up against adversity, you always think in a bigger picture. You told someone, your dad, that you're going to coach Wales someday and you're there going, right, start my career, lost my first four games at this level. You know, if you didn't have that big goal, that big target down the line, whether it was two, three, five, ten years, if you didn't have a big target to shoot for, you might have packed it in. You might have went, well, I tried the coaching thing. It wasn't a big deal. Possibly, but I think it was more than that. You're right, you know, but I think at that moment, I didn't think of of that. I thought of self-preservation, you know. Okay. Um, I'm sort of drowning, yeah. Um, I've got to get myself out of this fix. And then I'll think about the the bigger goal because... It was, it seemed even further away at that time, you know, it was like negotiating this week. Yeah. Getting through this week. And as Kira knows in, 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 well, as you all you guys know in rugby, um, you know, it doesn't matter how many wins you've had last couple of months. It doesn't matter how many losses sometimes. It's, it's all about this week. If you can climb into, you know, the task this week and do it really well and prepare properly. Um, uh, you know, cause if you don't, you lose, you know, cause someone is going to be better prepared than you. Yeah. I think, like, if you take that those points and put them into health and fitness and nutrition, um, or even with our business analogy in our first podcast. So, like, as a coach, something I would have found myself doing a lot when we started was I had all this technical knowledge from the courses, and but then I found that like I wasn't getting people to move the way I wanted to, and what I found was I was actually making things too complicated or over coaching so like say for instance you do a set of lunges i'd come in and i'd stop you and i give you two or three things to work on and then i talk for a minute and then you go and then i do it more so i sounded really smart as a coach 
but they weren't getting the results. So it's probably more centered on me being coach centered as opposed to being client centered. And then now the more I coach, the more I'd let people do things at a safe, safe level that might not be perfect and just let them learn through movement as in like just keep doing it over and over again and just keep giving them the one most important thing like say for instance on a squat keep your chest up keep your chest up and just keep doing that and then over time they'll learn what it feels like to do the right movement and then you're like how did that feel that was much better and then it gets better so like the other piece of that is we're not what we know we're what we do so like i could tell you loads of things of how to squat I'll give you 10 points all he but cares about is benching he doesn't want to hear about benching. Squat, we'll take it to we'll benching. get to that we'll, get we'll, to ta- that we'll take it to benching so i could tell you 10 points of how to bench press better but if we well, spend- he, can, he can lift more than you and that's the biggest problem <laughs> exactly but if, if we spend the whole session talking about benching you probably won't go away and the next time you bench on your own be any better benching better, no, no, no. whereas if we spend a good session and we rep it and we get you to do it where you learn through movement and I give you the important points at the important time but you get loads of work done chances are next time you go to do bench press on your own your technique will be better because you've done the work and your body will have muscle memory mm. as opposed to your mind thinking it over and over again and you can do the same with nutrition yeah. there's no point in me telling you everything to do brilliant yeah and I totally agree with that now obviously you've got to make sure like preparation so um, practice is permanent as well so obviously if you're practicing the wrong things all the time then you'll have a permanent problem yeah but you you were smart enough and you guys are no that is a is a you know you can let guys learn as they go along as long as they're not a hundred miles off it and they need to be corrected. So I think that's a really good point. When I asked when Mike South asked me to do that talk, the first point I put down as as my first pillar was a, a B what I call BHW. That's the first thing every team needs BHW. Um, I just said it's bloody hard work, you know, um, and it's exactly what you're talking about because you can't be a really good athlete, you can't be a really good team. Uh, you can't be a very good gym unless you put the work in, you know, whether it's in the background or it's during the sessions. And, uh, BHW to me is my starting point with every team. Uh, you know, I always talk about when the Olympian goes up for his gold medal, um, the first, then they say, well, that's brilliant. You just won the gold medal in the Olympics. You know, how come you won the gold medal? And 99.9% of Olympians will say it's because of the effort they put in. Yeah. You know, it's because of the hard work they put in. Um, so you're, you're, you're right, guys. You know, without that, that's, that's your bottom line for every team. And I go back to my story about losing the four games. We hadn't done the BSW. We hadn't put the work in. We hadn't put, you know, put the bloody hard work in. And um, technically, we, we were overcoached. So it's finding that balance between getting the coaching input and interventions right. Um t- balancing letting them breathe letting them learn by mistake Daryl will tell you I do a lot of small sided games and touch games and things like that and the boys make errors you know um, and I might let a lot of those go and then all of a sudden I might pull them in and say hey, you know we're making too many errors in these, in these areas and these are the reasons I see why we're making these errors and let's put a focus on that but I let them go for 10 minutes again then yeah. Um, yeah. and it's finding that it's, I, I've seen a lot of sessions with great coaches who know so much more than me but I know that they can't win the ratio of games I can win because they overcoach. Yeah. Uh, so it's finding that balance. And having fun. Having fun. But as well, like I remember from growing up, we had a lot of painting, uh, sorry, photos in the uh, in the bathroom where you took the Leinster team. Uh, to <laughs> Oh, the Leinster pictures are in the bathroom. What's crack with that? <laughs> <laughs> They're getting more. But like basically, <laughs> it was photos of all the Leinster team uh, 
and they're in an army camp and they're all cut, like caked in mud, uh, like carrying logs and doing all this, like really, really funny photos. But basically, what he'd done is, uh, I'll let you take over here, but this is an example of yeah. the team building. Yeah, I wrote the boys a memo. Um, I said, boys, pre-season has gone so well. I'm going to take you down to the uh, Druids Glen Golf Course. We're going to tee off down there and stay the night in the Glenview Hotel. And we might have a little bit of a, a light run on Sunday mon- morning in Greystones Rugby Club. So bring all your golf kit and stuff. So they all got excited. They all turned up for the bus with their golf uh, clubs. What, what year was this? Uh, 97, 98 okay. and uh, ping jackets and all these <laughs> yeah. beautiful golf gear so we drove down uh, towards um, Wicklow um, they all expected us to book into the, um, the Glenview Hotel and uh, instead of going on down we turned up right up over the Blessing and Mountains and I remember Victor Coslo ringing the uh, Glenview Hotel have you got a, a booking for the Leicester <laughs> team? No, the Irish were beginning no, he started to panic we got off the bus on top of Blessed and the Irish Rangers. Uh, oh my God. The, the boys were waiting for us. And, uh, we were just running it up and down the field and, uh, into the ditches. Of course, I had to do it because I was younger and fitter then and they plastered me in mud. But, um, we did all these physical tasks and they hated it. But in the end, they had a good laugh about it, you know, and, uh, um, it was good. It was good crack. But they wouldn't believe a thing I said to them after. Boys, we, uh, we I, I at, say at 10 o'clock, we're going to, Fly across to play Leicester and you'll be like, no, no, no. Yeah. Where, where are you taking us now? Like, you know. Yeah. They still showed up though, I'd say, because they probably enjoyed the experience. Yeah. And the rumor, there's a rumor has it. I don't know how factual this is, but when you were in Leinster, did you at some stage hold the bench press record, including all current players? Jeez, yeah. Well, uh, it was the very first day uh, or the very first week. Um, you know, again, you got to go back. Like it was no academies. It was no culture. You know, again, what, what you're doing here is building a culture of, of hard work and expertise and achievement. And the business analogy would be the same. If you can develop a culture where there's good task cohesion, social cohesion, you're, you're, you're going to be on a winning model. So there was no culture of weight training back in 1997. No one had done weights really. Um, or very few guys. So, um, Dr. Liam Hennessy, who you might uh, yeah, yeah. know of, uh, was the uh, sort of fitness consultant, and Big Dave Fagan uh, was the bench, uh, sorry, the weights uh, guy helping him out. <laughs> yeah, I like how he reminds that. Yeah. Bench coach. Yeah. <laughs> he was the bench, bench coach. coach. I gravitated towards the bench. Anyway, so they were running some physical testing for the boys. I was meeting them one by one and saying, look, you know, I want to get to know you. And then, you know, we've scheduled these times for you to do these tests. Um, and, you know, we had some good athletes, but none of them, you know, could do, could do anything on the bench or, or squatting or anything really. Not very weights. So, uh, I went up and I was well retired then. And, um, so I just thought, well, you know, I lift and just sort of show them that even a retired player can do it. So I benched and, uh, I, oh no, one boy, that's, the, that's right. One boy came in and said, you could do a 170. I said, if you could do 170, I will be over the moon because nobody else can do anything near it. And uh, he went up and he did 120. <laughs> he was probably thinking um, pounds. He can do uh, I'll tell pounds, you this, Emmett Byrne, who was an international <laughs> prop, and he'll, he'll know this story. So I used to introduce him everywhere as the second strongest man in Leinster. <laughs> I said, Emmett, and 120. So I went up, I did something like 145. I hadn't trained for a while. Uh, but I still got up to about 145. And uh, so I did introduce him as the second strongest man in Leinster. He used to go mad. Um but that's where they were. But in fairness, they all sort of started to catch up. But I only did it because 
Um, I guess I want to stay ahead of Emmett. Once he said he could do 170, I yeah. wanted to sort of keep him in his place a bit. You know? Prove a point as well. I remember I was chatting to, I think it could have been Charlie Butterworth, who was in Lansdowne, and uh, he was telling me uh, when you were all down training, doing doing tests, and I was chatting to Rudds about it, and uh, he says, yeah, we're all kind of halfway through, and Mike rocks in, and he has a look around the room, middle of tests, and he's nodding at the S&C coaches, oh, how are they getting on to do well? He has a, he's kind of look, leaning towards the bar. He's getting closer and closer. What's on that, boys? And the lads are like, uh, 155 or like 145 or something. Jumps in, two reps, walks off, no warm up. Cheers, lads. See you later. <laughs> like, you know, the boys there maxing out in their ones. Mike jumps in, two reps, bangs them out, no warm up. Right. See you after, lads. Like, quality. I, I think that's like, it's really funny, but like, it's actually, it's really you, dangerous, first of all. Really yeah, dangerous. Yeah. But as well, if you take that out, like, as a coach, so for myself as a coach, for yourself as a coach, like at the end of the day, you don't have to be the strongest person in the room. You don't have to be, but you have to be able to walk the walk in some regard and lead by example. So like for you going in and doing some sort of training, like the lads are going to respect you more and listen to you more. If it's like, well, you go do weights or if you talked about the negative motivation. So Emmett, you probably motivated him to be stronger than he ever would have been because he was so peed off that you were making fun of him for not being strong <laughs> that that probably drove him to a whole new place. So like I know for me as uh, all the rugby coaches I've had, when a rugby coach has done, say, you know, you said in the camp where you went and did the fitness with the lads in the army yeah. camp, even if they weren't the fittest coach, I respected that coach way more because I've seen him, like, he's willing to work hard with us. So when he tells me, Kieran, you're not working hard enough to get around this breakdown or you don't look as fit as you could be, I'm not going to maybe get defensive. I'm going to go, yeah, fair enough. Okay, like, help me get better. So if you think of that as a leadership perspective from, for like, for instance, for us, we clean the bathrooms every single class we finish. Yeah. Like, so like loads of people have said to me in the gym, oh, would you not stop doing that now? You've got people to do that for you. And I go, no, I'm always going to do this because it keeps me humble. But also it makes me like, if I tell one of the other coaches, the bathrooms aren't clean, do do it clean. They're not going to be like, oh, well, sure. You, all you do is sit in your office and do nothing. They're going to go, fair enough. Kieran, you're right. That wasn't a good job cleaning that bathroom. So I think that's important for business and leadership to always like walk the walk or at least show an yeah, example. And, and, and I think that's what I enjoyed about the early days of coaching. I very often would actually, I remember, uh, you know, I, I probably was fitter in my early days of coaching. Um, after I got over the sort of effects of my tra- of my accident, I was actually running with the boys doing all the, you know, 200s, 300s, 400s uh, in my 30s and, and being fitter than most of the players were playing. But of course, I wasn't taking contact. You know, when you're taking contact yeah. and, and you're carrying injuries, you know, you, you know, I was probably doing better times than I was when I was playing because I, I wasn't doing the Not contact. Carrying enough, yeah. Um, but of course, as, as, as I got older and you, you asked me earlier, how has it changed? And I probably fell into the trap and, um, which was like spending 20, 30 hours a week in front of the computer, emails and video, an, you know, video analysis in the pile on the pounds, you know, when ultimately the game is still a simple game and I probably was overcoaching, overanalyzing for many, many years. Um, and what's nice about going back to part time is actually I've got a little bit of time to train on my own now. And, uh, I don't do a huge amount, but I take over a little bit. Um, and, um, it, you know, it's made me realize how many years I didn't train, um, yeah. and didn't look after myself and, and just put, put the hours in as a, as, you know, for my job. 
Um, and probably found coming into my 50s that, you know, I was grossly overweight, uh, still am overweight, but at least I know I can still run now and I, I know I can still do certain exercises. But you know what I mean? I was sort of on that slippery slope. Yeah. And, and who really gives a monkeys when you're in the box that he did 50 hours, um, video analysis? You know what I mean? So again, for you guys, you all work so hard. And I see that, but it's, you've got to realize is it's always a balance for you guys as well. You probably enjoy it as well. Well, I know from looking at your Instagram videos that you definitely enjoy it. A most recent hill run in Portugal. <laughs> if anyone does, the oh my God, what a video. If anyone hasn't seen that, I was showing oh. it to a few lads yesterday yeah. before this and uh, the arrival to your lunch on the table as you sprint up the hill is definitely the icing on the cake for me. But uh, yeah, no, it was quality. Uh, like in terms of what you're saying there about like you training now so like I've trained with you a few times and in fairness like you would train every week uh, a few times a mixture of weights and uh, cardio but like you've you've been for a few health tests recently and all the doctors are amazed at like how healthy you are from having that routine now where you do train a couple times a week so like you can see the benefit of the carryover even if you did let it go for a little while in terms of not training like for anyone who's out there who's maybe fallen into that same trap where they put their career first and then they fell out of doing fitness, you're never too old to get back to do it. I've got a client who's in his 60s and he's fitter now than he's ever been, but he had a massive gap for 20, 30 years where he didn't do anything. But now he's, yeah. you know, you're never too old to get you're back. You're never too old. It. And I, I fell into that trap, you know, and um, particularly when I was doing some of the jobs I mentioned earlier, like the Dragons uh, was an hour and a half, two hours in the car each way for me. Okay. Uh, traveling, um, uh, you know, plus to get the training. So it's four, three, four hours a day I was in the car. Uh, plus, you know, you'd be traveling on Saturdays or flying off in the European Cup, you know, doing your video analysis. Obviously, then you got, you know, young children. So when you come home, you know, whereas you might have in the older days, perhaps had a chance to go to the gym or do a, a little run, you suddenly then, you know, you want to spend time with your kids and your family, which are all, brilliant things to do uh, and I don't regret that but I do regret the fact I probably didn't find time and I lost I got up the habit of training you know I started getting injuries from not looking after myself when I was running my calves used to implode so I sort of gave up running you know yeah and then my what if I my back stiffened up and my, you know from carrying the weight as well so then you got another excuse not to train mm. so your back is given out and um, then you start to tell yourself oh well I'm 40 odd and 50 odd you know, what, you know, that's your age. Don't worry about it. And it's all, all of a sudden, only since I stepped off the under twenties, probably, and got into a little bit more daytime stuff with the, um, with the recruitment job. I have not, I sit in front of videos for hours and hours and hours. And, um, I find I've, you know, I've started to get slowly back and gradually back into training. And, I, you know, I, I, I just guess. think it makes such a difference. So, Kieran, I would fully endorse that message to anybody who's got out of, uh, out of the habit of training, you know, exactly like you say, say, progress, not perfection. Come in and do 10 steps today, 20 steps tomorrow, 30 steps. And over the course of a year, you're just going to feel so much better. I would imagine you've probably found things as well that you just you enjoy. And that doesn't seem like it's from, from looking at what I see of you on Instagram and stuff. It looks like you're always having fun when you're training. And uh, there's obviously a bit of rush in the background, usually blaring. But like you're always... You look like you're having fun, which, like Rudd said at the start, if it's fun, you're more likely to stay consistent with it and keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I do sort of, I would love to be part of the gym um, culture. Um, I suppose it'd be finding the right gym, really, and having a buddy to train with. Because, as we all know, if we had uh, people to train alongside, 
Uh, I think we train even better as well very often, you know, as part of being part of a rugby team is yeah. that competitiveness. Well, on that, uh, you're going to have a little bit of competition now. I know you like competition. So what we've got lined up for yourself and Rudd's, uh the fitness forfeit quiz this week you're going to like this Mike the prize the prize the prize, <laughs> prize I, yeah. I'm going to call her prize <coughs> the prize is let me pull up my notes here uh, we are going to have 100 for oh Jesus uh, 100 reps of half body weight on the bench press what so I'm going to do that if you lose to Rudds in the uh, right, okay, sorry, in, yeah. in the Welsh rugby quiz that's coming up now if you lose this big Mike I'm very worried because you know, if you beat me, the, you, you know there's going to be murder down the house. Yeah, there will be. Yeah, yeah. you can uh, break it up into sets just to clarify. It's not on. No, you got to hundred straight through, or it's done. <laughs> and you got to you got to put it on your Instagram, Big Mike. And uh, well, like Rhodes is going to probably lose this anyway. Yeah. So, uh, right, ready. So the way it's going to work is we're going to have uh, first to three. Simple as that. You get a question. Rhodes will get a question. Yeah. Back to you, Mike. Okay. Blah blah. Till someone hits three points. Uh, do rock paper scissors quickly. See who goes first. I don't do that. You can go first. A- age before baby. All right. Okay. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Right, so, yeah, I like it. Uh, right. Um, who was the first rugby player to surpass 1,000 test points? Any country. Was that Welsh rugby? Welsh rugby player. Welsh all rugby. Welsh. It's all Welsh, big Mike. Uh, it's Neil Jenkins. for you. Correct. One point for us. I'm going to write this down. So <laughs> one nil. Start as I mean to go on. Yeah, exactly. Um... Rudds, I don't want to ask any too easy ones here. Uh, Wales play in wedge jerseys, in red jerseys, embroidered with the Prince of Wales feathers, and you know the rest of their coloured kit. Uh, What was the alternate logo that was turned down on their crest before the feather? That's tough, kid. The leak. One all. Yes! Where did you get that from? This is a this is a, this is a research. I would have gone quiz. daft. I would have gone daft. Yeah, no, it was the leak. There was there, there's arguments over that, but my historians have said that, that no, it's definitely a leak. Um, I can't well, ask I can't ask you the question about Percy Montgomery. I had anyway because you probably know all about that. Uh, the youngest player ever capped for Wales made his debut in 2010 Six Nations finale against Italy at 18 years of age. What was his name? Prudy. First name as well would be good, I would think, if you could give us that. I'm I'm going to give it to him, but I'd like to know if he knows the first name. Uh, The boy Preedy on the wing. Tom Preedy. Tom Preedy. Okay, big Mike, two from two. Uh, Rods, um, at the 2011 World Cup, Wales faced Ireland. It was a bleak day. Um, They reached the semi-finals after beating Ireland that day for the first time since what year? If 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 I get throw out a guess, can I have a year or two either side? Cause no, because the World Cup's on every four years. So do I have to pause this while you thought this no, up? No, no, that's fine. Yeah, nineteen seventy. <laughs> the World Cup started World Cup in nineteen. Damn it! <laughs> uh, Big Mike for so, the win. Sorry, so the just to show you. So it was the last time they'd beaten. Uh, Ireland beat Wales. They got Wales beat Ireland in yeah. 2011 World Cup in New Zealand to oh, get okay. to the semi-finals. What yeah. was the previous time they'd been in the World Cup semi-finals? Well, Wales. Jeez, uh, sorry, but so yeah. Well, it was the first World Cup '87. Big Mike with the win. Rods, you are benching. What's your current body weight, Rods? One ten. So nice, even. Uh, Fifty-five. Ah, sh- mm, no, we might make that three quarters body weight. I think it'd be. Have you got a match this weekend? 
No, I don't. Yeah, Big Mike, you happy to push that three quarters body weight for Big Rudds? Oh, yeah, go on. No, three no, he's my strength. He's my strength. Take it easy. Give me three quarters then. Three quarters. No, no, no. Huh? Yeah. Come on, Keith. You're going to do it with him anyway, probably, yeah. so it doesn't make a huge difference. All right, well on, Big Mike. Uh, before we go, thoughts on the Six Nations so far? Um, obviously, yeah, yeah. Moves I, ahead. I think it's great. Um, I think that uh, Ireland now should kick on and win a Grand Slam. You know, a very good coach, very good squad. Um, they've come through a couple of really good tests I mean the win in France is always a great win and again that, that went down to the wire they showed character and togetherness um, team spirit to win that and then they beaten um, uh, Wales that was a great uh, match yeah with with quite a few players missing young Andrew Porter came in and did really well I thought I thought the Welsh front row would have had a go at him um, but he, he seemed to handle everything that came his way superbly Um so having negotiated those two uh, particular obstacles, then I don't see Scotland really troubling them. I think they'll have too much up front for them. Um, and then uh, England, of course, will be difficult over there. But if you're going for a Grand Slam, I, I, I just think it'll be that momentum behind them. You know? Hopefully, yeah. And is there anything that you see in terms of the Grand Slam winning team that you boys had? Uh, is there any similar qualities that you see in what the Irish team have at the minute that might kind of be a factor? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think that, um, you know, the balance is good. Um, the depth is good. I remember we picked, we had injuries going into our last game against Ireland and I ended up picking Mark Taylor, who was a centre on the wing, but we didn't declare it till sort of 20 minutes before kickoff. Um, so we had the original winger warming up with us, even though we knew his shoulder was gone and he couldn't play to make it look like he was out. Mind there. games. And mind games. And then at the last minute we subbed. Mark Taylor in there, uh, so it's having the depth in your squad will win you a, a Grand Slam. And um, Kevin Maggs, who's a, a great player for Ireland in the centre, tackled Mark Taylor after about 25 minutes. And as we get up off the ground, he looked at him and said, what are you doing here? <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Look, Mike, thanks a million again. Really appreciate you coming and best luck over the next few weeks. Thanks, guys. Best luck to you guys.